Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 85 of the IoT for All podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Chacon, and today we sit down with Zebra Technologies Global Futurist and the Global General Manager of SmartPak, Drew Ehlers, to talk about the shift from the Internet of Things to the Internet of Intelligence. Drew oversees the integrated SmartPak team and is responsible for product advancement, machine learning models, and algorithms for predictive analytics to solve critical business problems for both Zebra and its partners and customers. Zebra Technologies is actually a company I've seen for quite some time now, and I've always wanted to chat with them a little bit about what they're doing and how they operate uh, and to get their, you know, to take on the IoT space. So it was really a great pleasure to have Drew on the show. Um, I think you guys will find a lot of value in this episode. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Drew Ehlers of Zebra Technologies. Welcome, Drew, to the IoT for All show. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Where are you? Uh, where are you calling from? Chicago, Illinois. All right. How are things going up there with the COVID and everything? You know, it's going well. I think we're all uh, adopting to the uh, the uh, unprecedented times, and uh, you know, just trying to make okay. uh, as many normal things as we can out of this uh, unknown landscape that we're all trying to navigate with no playbook. Yeah. How's uh, how's your company handling it all? How's Zebra Technologies doing with um, kind of the changes? To everybody working from home. Like, what's the what's the plan over there? Yeah, the majority of folks are working from home. You know, I think that um, you, you know a lot of our stuff is is very much an environment based in the customer. So, you know, sure. staying in touch with them, you know, via Zoom or uh, you know whatever platform they're they're utilizing Microsoft Teams uh, in order right. to keep, keep those innovations going on and really helping them try to solve their problems and keep their businesses going during these unprecedented times. With you know our involvement in the supply chain being very critical. Absolutely. Yeah, let's um let's get into that more in a second, but I wanted to start off by having you just give a quick introduction about yourself, any relevant background experience, you know, kind of how you ended up at the company, um and just talk about your role a little bit more. Yeah, no worries. Um so I am currently the global futurist for the company, uh and I'm also the global general manager for SmartPak as one of our emerging uh solution spaces around supply chain. Um in, in dynamics, you know, utilizing a bunch of different technologies. Right. We can get into that a little bit later. And then, you know, how I came to Zebra Technologies, I've been in the, uh, the IoT space for, for two decades, ever since uh, Kevin Ashton coined the term in 1999, uh, you know, through the RFID space. And, you know, m- many of us in the early 2000s were <laughs> waiting for RFID to take off um, as it was promised. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're now seeing critical mass in that, in that kind of category. But now it's, it's really interesting now that the, uh, you know, the instrumentation has been laid you know, I spent my entire career laying down that inst- instrumentation layer. Now, you know, for the foreseeable future, building out the next layer, which is really around, you know, data interoperability, analytics, uh, and really helping people solve critical business problems uh, with analytics, uh, with IoT's kind of that enablement layer. So, you know, that's kind of been my career journey across a bunch of different companies, but always solution based, always working with a partner network, uh, which is highly critical mm-hmm. for IoT, uh, and then you know, really looking at um, um, starting with a problem statement first, and then backing into that technology, which which I think most folks are are, are now evolving to. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. It's a very interesting approach that companies have initially. I guess when IoT kind of came around, uh, how they kind of started out, and we'll talk about this more later because I want to ask you about this like whole you know technology first mindset versus kind of the problem outcome and thinking almost more for the use case of problem backwards, which I think is really important. Um, but before we yeah. get into that, I wanted to make sure our audience is kind of clear on, on the company that you work for, so Zebra Technologies, and what you all do, the role you play in IoT. Because I think that'll add a lot of weight to kind of the conversation we have following um, 
all this uh, around those kind of challenges and things people are seeing and, and encountering in the IoT space and um, you know how we can kind of avoid them or help companies navigate them. Yeah, no worries. So, um, you know, Zebra Technologies, uh, we just celebrated our 50th anniversary last year. Uh, so we've been around since 1969. Uh, so we've been instrumenting the edge for, you know, over five decades. Uh, so when it comes to IoT, you know, we're, we're ground zero, especially when it comes to the enterprise space, uh, which is our main focus. And we really look at empowering those on the front line in retail, healthcare, transportation and logistics, manufacturing and other industries to help them achieve a performance edge. That helps translate, you know, for them into delighted customers, their end users, uh, patient outcomes, um, and superior business results. And I think that really equates to how we really start at the problem statement, the use case, and back into the technology to to help provide those outcome based scenarios that people are and really hit the ROI that they're looking for and the you know and how they spell that out. So I think that you know looking at that is really we've been pioneers for over fifty years uh, at the edge of the enterprise with our products, software, services, analytics, and solutions that are really used to intelligently connect all the people, assets, and data within the different environments of of the enterprise. So take me through like a typical customer engagement. Like what are they coming to you? What stage of the IoT journey are they kind of in? Um, You know, what are they doing? Uh, You know, what are they asking for? How do you kind of help on an ongoing basis with them? And are there any specific like use cases you wouldn't mind sharing to kind of make this a little bit more real for our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're, we're with, we're involved in throughout the whole process uh, within an IoT journey. Um, And, you know, typically that starts with a whiteboard session uh, to identify, you know, what, what problems they're trying to solve over the next three to five years and then prioritizing those problems and then helping them back into, you know, really clearly defining what a problem statement is really. And then, and then getting into a planning cycle, right? Then once that planning cycle is defined, then we look at, you know, an ecosystem approach to help solve those problems. I think it's very critical that, you know, we all check our egos when it comes to IoT enablement uh, and noticing that we can't all do it all. And it's, it takes an extensive partner ecosystem to do that, of which, you know, at Zebra, we have over 10,000 partners worldwide. 2,400 of them are independent software vendors. So having a robust partner ecosystem is highly critical. And I think that, you know, as we're, we're looking at the different stages of planning, we're seeing more and more new partners come into our ecosystem uh, because they're offering, um, you know, the ability to offer value in gaps that we can't provide today with our current network, who are extremely talented. So I think we're starting to see that um, in a lot of investment uh, with with solution partners and system integrators. But it, it takes a full team and a full partner ecosystem to really develop yeah, an totally ecosystem agree. approach to solving a problem. Um, and then we're yeah, and then and we're involved, you know, all the way through the pilot proof of concept phase uh, in rather unique ways. And then all the way through, you know, uh, deployment and sustaining, uh, making sure that it's being serviced properly in the uptimes keep, depending upon what the the different critical factors are within the solution. Uh, but through the whole IOT journey, we're a part of it. And so is our partner ecosystem. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Yeah. I mean, the partner ecosystem is something we've talked about many times because IOT is, is truly kind of live and dies 
based on the partner ecosystem a solution has a part of it. And it's, it's super critical to the industry as a whole um, and adoption for any company looking to kind of go down that IoT journey. So that's, that's great that you all, you kind of play a role in that. Now, from a use case perspective and kind of some real life examples to put this into kind of a different perspective for our audience, what are some that you may be able to share and kind of talk through as, and, and kind of talk through more specifically on the role you all play in those engagements and what you've been able to kind of bring to the market to, to solve problems for organizations? Yeah, no worries. I'll, I'll pick one that it's obviously specific to my area of expertise, but I would pick it regardless. Uh, it's really around our smart pack solutions. And really the use case there is, you know, uh, especially during COVID, uh, which we've seen an unprecedented time of, of e-commerce, right? Because people can't go to stores uh, in the same way that they used to before depending upon where you live in the world. Um, but the use case is really basically how can you get more stuff shipped um, faster, uh, but by utilizing the space, use, utilizing the space in trucks, but also planes, right? So you've got really two different use cases, subsets within the workflow supply chain, which is one around uh, trailer fulfillment, right? When you're, when you're going from distribution center down to micro fulfillment stores or to even to postal offices for distribution or to a brick and mortar store for distribution there or consumption based from the, from a retail perspective, from a brick and mortar. And then two is you, you've also got jets, right? So you've got cargo jets, plus you've got, um, you know, a lot of different passenger jets now that are selling space, uh, because they're not taking the amount of passengers that they have anymore. So they're actually hauling freight as well. Uh, to help you know, down their their costs as well for putting that plane in the air. If they've only got you know a handful of passengers due to the impact of COVID, now they can make that up you know by by really selling that space for for freight. So we, what we do is we help them look visibly to help solve those problems and really develop the architecture to show them in real time metrics, you know, what, what, what air they have within those different spaces, whether it's a trailer or a container, uh, and show them. And, and on, on average, uh, Ryan, you typically, uh, they're utilizing 60 to 70% of, of that container or trailer. Um, so you can see an uplift in an ROI very quickly by doing that. So by utilizing, you know, the, the smart pack solution, you know, which involves many different technologies that you have today, you know, based upon, um, you know, um, machine and computer vision, you've got sensors, you've got cameras, um, and you've got point cloud data, and then you've got machine learning on the back end, really processing all the data on the edge, and then setting up the actionable intelligence up to the cloud, back to the worker for notification, so that if they're building walls, as I'm looking at packages, building a wall within a trailer, I can intelligently tell them that they're building it the most efficient way. But if they're not, I can send them a corrective action in real time saying, Hey, based upon point cloud data, you know, you need to really reassimilate that wall so that you can get a high utilization of that. So at the end of the day, that offers those customers one, they can get more freight out per truck or per plane, which, which brings down jet fuel and, or, you know, or trailer fuel. Number two is they can hit the same cut times that they need, depending upon what kind of products those are. So if they're going direct to consumers, um, maybe perhaps through USPS or FedEx or, or, or DHL or whoever that may be fulfilling those things, you know, they can hit those times because they have SLAs depending upon what type of freight they've selected for those items. And, you know, in case of Amazon Prime, you want to get most of those things delivered in the next 48 hours. 
some of it's even the same day. So the, the dynamics of the supply chain have changed. And then during this period of COVID, you know, typically um, the large players are, are see peak time from October through January, uh, which is really the, the time period that people see. So the supply chain comes under constraint. Under COVID, they've been under peak since March. So if you can think, think about the constraints that that's added to the supply chain, they're trying to find unique ways to do that, to drive automation, you know, into those different workflows that are typically manually based, um, based upon, you know, systems of record data, such as trailer management systems and logs on you know, what's coming in, what's coming out for the day. Now you can dynamically in real time, help fulfill those different orders. And at the same time, you know, hit your ROIs on space utilization, cut time, and overall freight distribution and utilization within those different spaces, whether it's a trailer or container. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. So as, as an organization, is that kind of the realm and area you all focus the most on from industry perspective, or are there other areas that you kind of venture into or, you know, kind of see as your areas of expertise, um, that you, you know, I look for when it comes to working with clients. Yeah, we're, we're definitely supply chain geeks, but you know, our, 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 our core, our core verticals are, uh, retail, uh, manufacturing, transportation, logistics, and healthcare. Um, so we, we hit the full gamut. If you think, you know, around those different things that we have a ton of use cases within those periods of time, but also, you know, at the same time, supply chain is core to all of them. Um, so we, we definitely do that. And then, you know, is another use case that, uh, you know, that we've been working on, uh, is what motion works proximity, um, which has really been around COVID. So it's, uh, proximity and, um, contact tracing so that, you know, it, what it basically does is it, it takes that IOT enablement layer, you know, such as a mobile computer, uh, which at the end of the day is a sensor. And it, and it shows the, the distance. So you can set the, the rules and logic. So currently right now, all government standards is six feet. So basically it shows you know, that one, that we're committed to the health and safety of employees, but also the essential role to help, you know, pe- keep people safe, whether they're in the environment and really getting to the guidelines that the government said for, so they can get back to work. So this, this, uh, yeah. So the solution really shows you uh, and sends notifications so that as long as you're within six feet of different workers, you're not going to get a notification for every time that you cross that barrier uh, of six feet and you, you have a lag time of, of, of a minute or greater, it's going to send you a notification saying, hey, distance yourself from the other employee. So that way, yeah, <laughs> sure. So that way they don't get fatigued from notification, but at the same time, it's very, very rule based, right? So it shows that you're able to keep them safe and working, especially when you don't have, you know, other workers there that would normally be there to supervise them on the floor because you're trying to keep the, the social distance so that you don't have any spread of COVID within those different environments and you can keep the operation running. Um, you know, we, 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 you asked what we were doing during COVID. We actually deployed this in our, our Heronveen location over the Netherlands in late May. Um, one as a proof of concept, but two, so we could get back to work too. Uh, cause that's one of our main distribution centers for Europe. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really about that. So it, it's, it's not necessarily about a specific vertical, but it's really about tackling that major problem, which as we all know that that one came up very quickly. And what's really cool about that story is it's, uh, we were very pivoted. We, we actually spun that, um, that solution up and in three weeks and had awesome. production ready in six weeks. 
Um, so everybody, everybody was on hand. The supply chain team, which is, you know, the folks that I was just talking about within our own distribution centers so that we could have, you know, user experience and really define the, the problem set and, and look at the environment, our software and solutions business units, and then our solution sales teams really working together to define, develop and deploy you know, the solution for proximity sensing and contact tracing, which is, which is really cool at the end of the day, because it's really showing how quickly, you know, the enablement of IoT is enabling people to innovate on top of it uh, and really solve for problems. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, this, it wouldn't have probably been as, as possible or affordable to have built something so quickly to solve a problem like this because the technology wasn't in a place that was mature enough to, to handle the scale. I think that this is going to be seen with, with a pandemic like this and, you know, this, this tracing, uh, you know, um, these tracing type solutions that are going to be needed. We've had this conversation on the podcast many times before where, where companies are seeing that demand from customers and they're working on building, you know, tracking and tracing solutions for employees to ensure that the workplace can be safe. So people can come back and work to increase production and, you know, um, efficiency with the, for a company as a whole. So that's, that's fantastic um, that you, um, you guys have, you know, been able to kind of roll this out so quickly. And like you said, it is a huge testament to where we are in the IOT and how far we've come. And it, you know, only kind of, we're only, you know, get more excited for the potential in the future of, of the industry, you know, as we grow. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, the, the, the maturity, I would say of IOT over the last two decades is, has increased just a, a thousand fold, um, in terms of the ability to deploy security, and then really just having that uh, ability to have that sustaining factor, right? Where you don't have that much technical debt. Most of it's been using reusable components. You've got some standards now, you know, we, we still need more. Uh, but then it's it's leveraging, you know, other things, especially for Zebra. I mean, you know, being the leader, um, you know, the Gartner Magic Quadrant for indoor locationing, that was critical for us because we use the learnings of many different use cases we have deployed, such as we have deployed with the NFL today, tracking all the players, and, you know, providing all the next gen stats for the NFL, you know, utilizing that leadership, uh, but also that enablement later of IoT, putting those things together, um, you know, has really helped us take, you know, that, that uh, problem solving to a new level based upon use case and then backing into that technology based on what we need, plus the partner ecosystem. Yeah, great. So I want to transition talk a little bit of, about a couple other things that, um, that I think are interesting, um, you know, as from an organization standpoint, it feels like you all focus a lot on the intelligence piece of an IOT solution. And, um, you know, we kind of see this transition and I don't want to say transition cause they're kind of complementary, but we have IOT internet of things and we kind of move. And once the solution is deployed and as we're thinking about developing a solution into kind of the intelligence space. So, you know, internet of intelligence and how it mixes with IOT. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen working with organizations in, in kind of that transition from focusing on the things piece to the intelligence piece and what that kind of looks like? Yeah. So, so I, I coined the term internet of intelligence, um, you know, four years ago. And, and the reason for it was because there, were, there was a challenge with, um, you know, folks and how they were looking at it, you know, I, and I'm sure Ryan, you've heard it before too. And many of your previous guests, which is, you know, customers come to you and they say, Hey, I've got a budget for IOT. And I'm like, you know, what are you, what are you trying to solve for? Well, I don't know my, you know, my, my CMO said that, you know, IOT is the big thing and, and I've got a budget for now. I just don't know what it is or what I want to spend it on. So, you know, <clears throat> 
having a clear definition of what an IoT is, is going back to the base definition of what Kevin Ashton coined it as in 1999, which is it's basically a digital voice where you're passing information back and forth um, to, to a physical object, right? And now, now that we've built out this enablement layer, you know, we, we have this huge shift where, you know, you've, you've, you've got so many different things, such as the MotionWorks proximity example I just gave, where you can spin up different solutions based upon your problems you're trying to solve in weeks versus years. And I think so the, the second part behind that is now, now that you have the IoT enablement layer, which is critical, it has to be there. Now you can build the intelligence on top of it. So you're developing the Internet of Intelligence, you know, by now reaping and harvesting the different data types that are out there. You know, whether it's, you know, reflective analytics that are going into dashboards so that you can look at things, whether it's, um, you know, predictive uh, measurements. So if you're using, you know, machine learning uh, and applied AI, you know, depending upon what solution you're trying to look for or, or use case you're trying to solve for. And then you've got prescriptive analytics, the ability to, to tell, to tell something uh, or a human or a robot, what, what they should be doing next, what's their um, best next action, right. From that perspective. So there, there's lots of different categories you can go in that. And, you know, from a zebra point of view, uh, along with our partner ecosystem, we're, we're trying to infuse that worker, whether it's, whether it's a human worker or a robot and orchestrate the workflow through decision support. And this is leveraging the enablement layer of internet of intelligence, you know, applying AI and ML to really drive that real time action, but really at the end of the day to drive better outcomes. So that could be, you know, uh, at the end of the day, if you think about um, if, if peak season, as we were talking before, started in March, you can guess that one, all those different warehouses that are that are experiencing peak, they had to hire new workers as they typically do during seasonal peak in October. But now they had to do it in March. So you, you now have uh, different levels of workers. You could have somebody that's been there 33 years who would be in an expert category. You, you have people that may, may be there for you know, less than five years. And then you got people that are just starting. So by augmenting that work worker and driving intelligence back to them as decision support, now you can actually lift, lift up that, that rookie worker, human worker, and now bring into um, accelerate their ability to ramp up, which helps everything from an ROI perspective. Because now, if you're if you're you know telling them with directive actions what they can do, they can now understand you know what needs to be done so that they can be you know that A player um, that that they have, whether you know they're the the middle category, you know where they've got some different. Um, experience five years or more, or if they're that veteran worker that's been there for 33 years, now you can take that likeness with a closed loop system where now you're providing feedback based upon disposition of task orientation to drive acceleration within that different workflow. So that internet of intelligence is now, you know, full loop system where it's going from, you know, the, the environment of what's going on, what needs to be done from a worker perspective. And then it's processed, you know, from a ML perspective through a closed feedback loop and driving it back to the worker to, you know, give decision support to those different levels of workers so that you're getting more productivity out of them, higher utilization. And at the end of the day, you know, you're meeting your customer needs depending upon what, what, you're, what you're trying to uh, have as an outcome. Now, let me ask, with the, with the things that you're able to kind of show and discover through the intelligence piece and provide to companies, are these things that are often 
asked of and request or requested of by customers of yours? Like they've come to you kind of clearly knowing what they're looking for from an ROI perspective or from a data perspective, or are these often things that you're able to kind of share with them and, and discover through the implementation of a solution that actually just adds, you know, goes kind of above and beyond and adds value to these companies before, like from, I, and what I'm trying to get at is, how often do customers clearly know what they're looking for and asking for on the data and the intelligence side versus what you guys are able to provide to kind of go above and beyond to add more value to the solution to make it uh, the ROI much more clear to them to see and just generally more successful of a deployment? Yeah, I would say that it's 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 usually the latter where it's usually in a discovery phase. A lot of it has to do with, um, you know, what I mentioned before around whiteboard sessions, uh, which is, you know, identifying what they have. And then there, there's definitely baseline value that's uh, repeatable across all the different customer base. But there's always unique nuances to each customer environment where we can, you know, uncover different value that you have. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. all, it's all backed into the way that they're going to utilize the data. So you've got baseline um, use cases where you're going to utilize the data and the intelligence within the workflow. But then as you look into the environment, and this is this is one of the, you know, the key things within, you know, the Internet of Intelligence and in IoT solutions today is you've got to make sure that you're involving um, folks, folks from the UX uh, all along the journey so that they can look at what the user experience is within each environment. And, and that's critical these days. And I think that's one of the unique things that we do is that we we start using UX from the start, all the way from a whiteboard session to planning, to proof of concept, um, to deployment, to sustaining, making sure that we have UX all along that journey to make sure we understand, you know, from a user experience standpoint, what is valuable to them. And then, and then everything else is just noise. So that way you're, you're really dialing in on what that decision support should be, but also what, what do they need to know and what they don't need to know, they don't need to know. So that way they're not fatigued. They can have focus, right? And they can right, right. Achieve yeah. the they want, but having that that UX layer all along the journey is highly critical. Yeah, and and do you think that's a kind of a more recent shift in thinking for solutions? Like thinking more from the kind of end user backwards versus thinking about it from the technology forward. I feel like that is something, and we've discussed this before that we're very big advocates of um, that. You really need to design a system thinking about the problems. You know, the what's your the outcome you're looking for and who you intended to end user is and design the system from that point backwards versus thinking, you know, Oh, I found a great, you know, um, device or a or thing that I, you know, a, a, um, a piece of hardware that I want to use. And now let's build a solution around that. And I think that mindset is in, and, you know, kind of thought process is critical in building a successful IOT solution. I couldn't agree with you more, Ryan. I think that, you know, what I've experienced up until I would say even the last two years is that everybody was implementing with a technology first mindset, you know, and it's been a a huge critical uh, pitfall over the past decade, you know, where folks have made investments, you know, based upon startup technologies or, you know, the the new flashiest thing from a sensor perspective. And uh, they were deploying it with really no clear outlook or definition of what problem they're trying to solve. They just had an IOT budget and they're like, Oh, you know, here's some Zigbee sensors. I'm going to throw them out here and see what people are doing in my environment. Right. Um, you know, versus really looking at to, to what you phrase, which is really looking at what the use case is and the user experience is and what 
outcomes they're trying to achieve and what ROI they're trying to achieve at the same time. Because once you have that clearly problem statement, you have that shift. And I, I think it's only happened over the last two years, at least from what we're experiencing. And we talk, you know, across 45 different countries, <laughs> you know, with, with customers all across the world um, in all those key verticals that, that I, I spoke about before. So I would say that the last two years, you, you see this, a shift in that. But I would say that there's still a good high majority, you know, 40, 50% of folks that are still thinking that way. And it's still, we need to change because they're, they're deploying a lot of technical debt into their environment. Um, and at the end of the day, if they're not clearly defining the problem or the outcomes they want to achieve, it's really not going to hit an ROI from their perspective either. They're just going to have a bunch of cool stuff in their environment. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And and then when you, when you kind of, you know, engage with a customer who has, you know, this mindset, whether correct or incorrect, how, how do you kind of advise them on the correct path to, to solve their problem? Like thinking about how they evaluate, you know, this kind of opportunity and this solution it make is a good fit for their organization. Um, from a, a cost standpoint, from a, you know, do they have the skills and the resources standpoint? Um, and then how do you kind of advise on, on the buying kind of something that's existing like kind of off the shelf versus something that is, is more custom for their solution and bringing in the correct partner. So how do you, how do you kind of help organizations and what advice do you have for organizations out there listening on how to kind of start that journey and, and the way to kind of go about that? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I've been down all those journeys before, by the way, with the customers. So um, a lot of lessons learned in these different departments. But uh, what, what I would say is, as you're, as you're looking down the path of deploying an IoT solution, um, and you're trying to draw intelligence from it, right, is, is one, clearly define the problem, just as you mentioned before, Ryan, which is highly critical. Number two, once you have the problem defined, what are the outcomes that you, you have to have? Right. And how are they being measured and how are they being measured? Right. Cause that's going to tie back to your ROI. And then based upon your problem statement, your outcomes and your ROI, how does that measure up with the other investments you need to make over the next three to five years? And if it's, if it's, and if it's, you know, we, we use the terminology ATL and BTL above the line and below the line. If, if that is a problem that you need to solve over the next three to five years to hit your company goal, and or make a competitive differentiator or disrupt the marketplace. Like you have to figure out where it lies in your priority list. Once you do that, make sure that you're aligned across all the stakeholders that you need within your company to champion that thing across the line. And without, you've got to gain that alignment up front. So once you've clearly defined the problem statement, define the outcomes, and then, you know, have the ROI in place, and it's above the line, make sure that you have clear alignment across all the stakeholders. That's highly critical because that, that that's going to help you in the planning stage and then the proof of concept and pilot stage and then ultimately the deployment stage, right? So that you've got extreme clarity and, and, and 100% alignment across all the stakeholders that's going to have. So once you have that, then you can define how, how am I going to go after it, right? So one, you want to make sure that you're picking out a, a thought partner. Um, you know, you know, that's where we spend most of our time whiteboarding. What does an ecosystem solution look like to back into that, right? So that, you know, it's not technology, but you're backing into the technology through the partners that you need to help develop that, that solution. If it doesn't exist today, if it does exist today, one, you want to make sure that um, it's hitting all those different marks that you've clearly defined already. 
And then number two, you want to look at how does it fit into your current architecture, right? Are you going to have any integration issues? Are you going to have any environmental, you know, technical debt issues in making sure that you clearly understand what it's going to take within your current environment, because you may have to invest in other areas for that solution to work, uh, which, which may bring your cost way up. So understanding those hurdles up front, uh, and making sure that you're doing your due diligence is, is, is very critical in that nature. And the third one is if you want to custom build something, Make sure that you've got one, again, 100% alignment across it, but two, you clearly define what success of an early pilot looks like, right? Uh, from an alpha to a beta to a pilot and make sure you understand that so that you, one, that you can continue to communicate to your aligned stakeholder group, but two, aligned to you know your C-levels that are making the investments and what it means to the company. So making sure you have all those different things that based upon what which way you want to go down the path, whether it's, you know, I want to either, you know, buy it, uh, from an existing, you know, solution or two, I want to build it through an ecosystem or, 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 um, lastly, I want to build a custom built solution. And I would say that the, the other thing that's paired with that, no matter what you do, no matter what path you have going down. And I'll tell you, this is a big lesson learned, Ryan, in all these different situations is make sure that you have a production ready environment that's replicating your current environment where you can pilot it so that you're not doing it in a lab. You're not doing it in a lab, but you're making sure that you've actually dedicated a space within your operations that does the exact same thing of what a scalable uh, deployment would look like for just that test area. Right. So everything's happening the same, but you have, you have a controlled area that you, you're doing that, that pilot on. And I will tell you, that's a huge lesson learned. And it doesn't matter if you're small, big, large, or, you know, tier one or whatever it may be. Everybody who has done that has been highly successful in either saying, it, mm -hmm. you know, let's kill it. It doesn't work. Or, Hey, this thing's got legs. Let's invest in it. Let's scale it and let's deploy it, you know, operational wide. But I will say that that would be one of the things that I would highly recommend within that journey is that you have that production, similar environment that you can test in. Now, let me ask you this one of the last questions I wanted to kind of run through in this same train of thought here is how, where does the, the, the kind of devotion to the security, the privacy, you know, compliance issues that need to be met, where should that be thought of in the process? And because it sounds like from a lot of companies, it's super important, but often overlooked, especially in the early stages. But I feel like that's kind of when you need to really be thinking about it the most because it gets expensive later on if you have to kind of go back and work, you know, try to, to, to kind of work it in. Ryan, I can tell you this is not your first rodeo. That's a very good question. And I would say it's, it's overlooked by many. Uh, and even the, even the people del delivering the solutions is overlooked at, at the end of the day, um, security, data, privacy, compliance, it has to be there from the start, right from that design process with UX and making sure that it's layered in all across there, because it's a major area of challenge that really needs to be thought out from design, the prototype, you know, the alpha, the beta production and sustaining phase, because you're continuously seeing new things that come up, whether it's in security, you know, with, with different people that are trying to attack the solution system or platform or environment Two, there's always new data privacy laws coming out, you know, similar to GDPR over in Europe, 
that you have to adhere to and, and just overall compliance on, on, you know, the different networks that it's touching. Right. Uh, because it's, it's highly integrated into the environment that it's living in. So making sure that security, data, privacy and compliance, they need to be 100% top of mind throughout the entire process. And I, I just, I, I, to your point, I feel like so many people overlook this and it's gotta be there from the, the first, the start to the last, to the, to the ever long, uh, you know, living of, of that solution in that environment. It's gotta be there from, from every step of the way. I totally agree. Totally agree. These insights have been super helpful. I appreciate the time I, um, you know, today and, and kind of letting, letting us into, you know, to your mind and, and the, you know, the philosophy at, at Zebra on how you guys handle things and the advice you have for organizations, you know, and your overall thought process, I think is spot on to what organizations need to be following and what organizations should be looking for when they're, you know, engaging with a company to, to have a solution built. So, so I truly appreciate it. And I wanted to wrap up here by um, just kind of getting a sense of if there's anything new and exciting, you know, going on over at Zebra that is worth mentioning that our audience should be on the lookout for. Um, and then also um, finally just asking if our, our audience has follow questions or wants to learn more about what the organization is doing, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So we always have new and exciting things going on. And I, I, I actually let you in on many of those different things. Um, you know, I, I think that one of the, the other ones that I'll mention <laughs> is, uh, you know, all of our work around food and drug safety. Um, we, we made an, we made an acquisition, um, last year called temp time. And what it is, is it's, uh, instrumented label, um, that can tell the, you know, the, the temperature, the sensitivity, all the things that are around, um, drugs and drugs and vaccines around the world. And they do a lot of work a lot of work with the world health organization. And as you can imagine, you know, with COVID and vaccines really coming into the forefront, you know, what we, what we've been doing is trying to secure, you know, the food and drug uh, supply chain, you know, with that solution um, and and pairing that with, with blockchain as well, so that it can be, you know, a record that can be checked upon, you know, to secure, you know, any kind of food that's going through supply chain plus drugs, whether it's a vaccine or a pharmaceutical, biopharmaceutical that you have today, because, you know, there, there's so many of those things that are going on. The last thing we want to do is have, you know, a vaccine or biopharmaceutical put into a patient's body that's been um, compromised. Uh, same thing with anything from food perspective on that. So, I, you know, there's a ton that we're doing around that, um, you know, with the life cycle management of that, uh, with locationing, temperature, uh, and, and then really putting that onto um, on blockchain so people can look it up and, and make sure that they, if there is any kind of breakout or any kind of, um, you know, breakdown in the food supply chain that one, we can help corner it within seconds, um, not months as has happened in the past. And two, with vaccines and drugs, you know, making sure that um, those get to the patients in a very safe manner. And I, I think that's becoming more and more critical as we see different things pop up in the environment, such as COVID. Uh, so I think that that's something to definitely keep your eye on. And, and if you're trying to solve those problems, feel free to reach out. And, and uh, you had asked where to reach out. Uh, we're at zebra.com. And we're also on LinkedIn. 
uh, in Twitter. Uh, feel free to reach out to any of those and feel free to ping me on, on LinkedIn or Twitter as well. Uh, always happy to uh, whiteboard and solve problems with anybody that, uh, that needs help. Fantastic. Well, yeah, I appreciate your time. I, you know, this episode was, was great. I, you know, the insights you shared are, are super helpful and um, you know, wish you all the best of luck over there at Zebra and it sounds like you guys have a lot of exciting things going on. So it's great to have you, um, you know, on the show and we look forward to staying in touch. No worries. We really appreciate the time, Ryan, and uh, we look forward to it and stay safe and healthy. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening to that episode of the IoT for All podcast with our guest, Drew Ehlers of Zebra Technologies. If you found a lot of value in it, we would truly appreciate it if you would leave a rating or review on whichever platform you're listening to us on. Also, feel free to subscribe to our podcast directly or our newsletter or our social media to get the latest episodes as soon as they become available. Uh, other than that, if you have anybody you'd like to see as a guest on the show uh, or from somebody you'd like to get their take on the IoT space or hear their take on the IoT space, please feel free to shoot me an email at ryan at iotforall.com and we'll do everything we can to get them on the show show. But other than that, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.